Good morning, Pathway Church. You guys wide awake, ready to go? Okay, good. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, Last Sunday, we started a new series called Doors, and the first uh, sermon was about the multiple doors in our lives, and it's really kind of how do we find God's will for my life? Remember, we had a hand. On the thumb is the Bible, and we said if you uh, just read the Bible and follow what it says, 90 to 95% of the time, you will be in God's will. But there's some things the Bible doesn't address very clearly, and so you need a little more information. So Jesus asked us to pray, that's the second finger, and to seek his wisdom, and he will give us his wisdom. The third finger is God's Holy Spirit, which is kind of our inner GPS that kind of guides and directs us and, and helps us along the way. Then the fourth finger is the church where we gather together and we ask each other questions and we speak God's wisdom into each other and uh, we speak, as it says in Ephesians, the truth and love. And the last finger was circumstances. Those are those things that we go to first, usually when we're talking about God's will. Well, based on what's happening in my life, this must be God's will. But we said circumstances really are the least uh, informative thing in knowing God's will for your life you know, because sometimes God's will is not obvious in our circumstances. The door we come to today is, I believe, one of the tougher doors, and that's the doors that God closes, the closed door in our lives. You have this great plan for your life, and you got it all thought out, and then it doesn't happen quite the way you thought it was going to happen. I have a, a dear friend who's given her life to Christ and poured her life out into the church She's influenced and touched so many people over the years. And like a lot of young girls, she wanted to get married and have a child, and it just hasn't happened for her. She's been engaged three times, and every time at the last minute, it kind of fell apart. And now she's approaching 50, and that dream's getting smaller, and and the window is getting smaller for that dream to come true. Kind of a tough thing in her life. You... You want to uh, take this job, it's just perfect for you, and then give the job to somebody else. You, you find the house you've been looking for, and you put in your bid, and they take the other bid, you know. You pray and expect God to open a door, and instead he closes the door. How do you handle that? How do you explain that? Well, to deal with the closed doors in our lives, there's a couple of questions we have to answer. The first one is simply this. Do you believe that God is in ultimate control of your life and my life? Do we believe God's in control? Is he sovereign in our lives? And the second question is, is God able and willing to help me? Is God able and willing to help me? Out of all the billions of people on the earth, does God really have a plan for Steve? Is, I mean, is that even possible, that, that God has a plan for you and he has a, a, a perfect path that he wants you to follow? Well, he kind of answers that question in Luke chapter 11. Listen to what he says. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks find, and the one who knocks, the door will open. Which of the fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? 
Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? I remember watching a, a television program a few years ago, and this guy was seeking wisdom in his life. And he hears about this great guru who has great wisdom. So he goes to see him and he's asking him all these questions. And the guy's not saying anything. He's getting really frustrated. And he goes, why aren't you answering me? And he says, son, you are answer, asking the wrong question. Well, the beginning point of faith is simply that God is on our side. He's for us. But sometimes we're asking the wrong question. We're asking the wrong question. The second question is, do you believe that there really is a right path for believers? That God has this perfect path that he wants you to follow? Well, Jeremiah 29, 11 speaks to that. It says, for I know the plans, evidently he's got some plans, I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. But God's ways and God's plans are higher than our plans. And sometimes uh, God's no doesn't really feel good. And it doesn't feel like that he has a plan and a hope and a future for our lives. Over the years, I've discovered that whenever I get in trouble, whenever I face problems in my life, my first response is to ask God to get me out of trouble. You guys ever do that? You know, you're in trouble. God, can you fix this? Can, can you get me out of trouble? And you know what? He rarely does. You know, he, he doesn't always fix it right away like I think he should and like I, like I want him to. Is it because he likes other people more than he likes me? Is it because he's punishing me and he wants to teach me some deep spiritual lesson? These maybe be questions that a pastor shouldn't be asking, but they're real questions that all of us ask at some times in our lives. Some of God's closed doors are obvious. We might not like them, but they're obvious. God's trying to protect us. God's watching out for us. God realizes if we walk down that path, that's not going to be a good path for you or, or, or for your family. He wants the best for us. The great theologian Garth Brooks wrote a, wrote a song uh, that might uh, help us a little bit. These are the words to the song. Just the other night at a hometown football game, my wife and I ran into my old high school flame. And as I introduced them, the past came back to me and I couldn't help but think about the way things used to be. She was the one I wanted for all times. And each night I would spend praying that God would make her mine. And if he had only grant this wish I wished back then, I'd never ask for anything again. She wasn't quite the angel I remembered in my dreams. And I could tell that time had changed me in her eyes too, it seemed. We tried to talk about the old days. There wasn't much we could recall. I guess the good Lord knows what he's doing after all. And as she walked away, and I looked at my wife 
then. And there I thanked the good Lord for the gifts in my life. Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Remember when you're talking to the man upstairs that just because he may not answer doesn't mean that he don't care. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayer. Now, I'm going to disagree with this theologian Garth Brooks just a little bit. I think God does always answer our prayers. It's just not always yes. Sometimes it's no. It's a closed door. Now, most of us can acknowledge a closed door or two in our lives that have probably saved us a lot of sorrow and pain and suffering and disappointment. God seeks to guide us down a path that will help us to honor him and that will align our will with his will. We we get those closed doors. But there are some closed doors that we struggle with a lot because it really seemed like the right thing. And God said, no. I think we struggle. The struggle is that we sometimes miss God's purpose and God's plan for our lives. Because we see it from our perspective. You see, God has a big picture in mind. He has an eternal destiny in mind. This is just dress rehearsal for him. We're all caught up in the now. You know, the immediate moment. We focus on our happiness. God focuses on now and forever. He focuses on bringing glory to the Father. And accomplishing the will of the Father, he focuses on our redemption because he knows knows that's the most important thing in our lives. I woke up early one morning and started thinking about some of the closed doors in my life. I entered ministry when I was 19 years old as a student pastor. And I graduated from seminary in December. And January 1, I started as senior pastor at First Church of God in Clearwater, Florida. Senior pastor is an odd word since I was 23 years old. Now they call them lead pastors, and that's okay. But but I I was a senior pastor, and and, uh, it was was a great assignment. It was a wonderful church. We went through a relocation of the church and built a new building. This was in a time when interest rates were 12 and a half, 12 and three quarters percent. Some of you will remember that in the 80s. Uh, And I loved Clearwater. Clearwater Beach is a beautiful beach. I thought, man, I I just want to stay here. This is a great place. But I began to sense in my spirit that God was saying, uh, I have another assignment for you. And I was perplexed by that. I didn't even know what that meant. What's the assignment? Where am I going? You know? And so I got out the Church of God yearbook and started flipping through churches, thinking, okay, maybe one will pop out, you know, like you stick your finger in a Bible, maybe the verse will be the right verse, you know. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going through there, and I wrote down the name of five churches. Now, at this time, uh, our church had gone from 50 to about 200, but nobody knew who I was or cared who I was. And uh, I was 33 years old, still considered pretty young for a pastor, you know. So I, I'm writing down these churches, and I think if any of these churches contact me, It'll be the will of God because they will never take a look at me. Here are the churches. Uh, the first one was Lansing, Michigan. That time was run about, four, uh, about 600 people. Uh, Mount Scott in Portland, Oregon, another church of about 600 people. Uh, 
Eastland Church of God in Lexington, Kentucky, Whitechapel in Daytona Beach, and uh, Casper, Wyoming, Highland Park Church. I thought, okay, any of these churches call me, it's God's will. It was maybe just a few weeks later, I get a letter from Lansing, Michigan, Church of God, where my friend had been a pastor. I thought, this must be it, man. You know, I didn't even think about the fact they probably sent a letter to 100 people, and, but you know, I thought, okay, I'm praying about this. And, and I finally, there was, there was just a big no. God was saying, this isn't it. So I wrote them letters and I'm sorry, I don't want to be considered. I thought that would be it. A few weeks later, I got a letter from Mount Scott Church in Portland, Oregon. And I'm thinking, okay, what are the chances of that? I got five churches written down. I'm hearing from two of them right away. And, and this is a big church, you know. And so I, they invited me to come out. I got on a plane, flew out there. And as we're flying over Oregon, over Portland, I don't know how to explain this other than to say it was very clear in my spirit. God was saying, no, this isn't it. I met with those wonderful people. We spent a lot of time together that day and that evening. Uh, and I knew in my heart that I was not the guy they needed at that place. Came back and thought, okay, I'm just supposed to stay in Clearwater, and I'm happy with that. And so we, we uh, got really busy there. And two years later, I heard from two churches in a period of two weeks, and the churches were Casper, Wyoming, and Eastland Church of God in Lexington, Kentucky, four of the five churches on my list. So I'm, I'm talking to these two churches. Uh, both of them were serious about me candidating. I, I really felt like Eastland and Lexington was where I was supposed to go. So we agreed to come and, and uh, took that church. And I thought, okay, after all that time, this is going to be great. It was really hard. It was really hard. The church had gone through a split. It used to be 600. Now it was about 300. And, uh, and to make matters worse, the, within a month after I got there, IBM closes. And that was the big employer in Lexington. And there must have been 40, 50 people in our church that worked for IBM. And they all made big salaries. So that made it a really tough financial situation. And they'd built a building that was about $1.5 million, $1.6 million. They got the debt down to about $600,000. But they bought it on bonds in the 80s, so they were paying 12.5% interest. And I, I told the, the board, you know, we, we've got to renegotiate this because we could call the bonds. They said, no, we're, we told these people we're going to do it. We're going to do it. Well, we had a board meeting. We had $24 in the bank. I said, okay, we've got to talk to these folks. So they agreed to, that we would start calling them and just tell them the situation. And they all said, what took you so long to call these bonds? Because the interest rates were like 6%, 7%. And so uh, many of them gave us bonds back. Eight years later, the debt's paid off. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, things are going really well. And I got to go back almost 15, 17 years. While we were in Clearwater... There were two men in our church that were uh, really into assisted livings. I didn't know anything about assisted livings. And they took me down to visit an assisted living in Bradenton. Now I'm like 29, 30 years old, and I didn't think you ever got old when you were 29 or 30. You know, that didn't happen. So they, and they said, 
Steve, if you ever get a chance to a church that's got enough land, you should build one of these because when the baby boomers, that was me, get old, that's me, <laughs> that's going to be important. And it's important that the church speaks into the lives of those people. And I'm thinking, sure. So now we're in Lexington. They got 36 acres. And they said, we were going to build a retirement community on part of this. And it's like God said, okay, that's why you're here. Let's get this done. So we started making the plans for Liberty Ridge, uh, which was 90 apartments and memory care and 60 garden homes. Incredible community. And about the time we're getting ready to build it, White Chapel from Daytona calls me. Now, that's the fifth church on my list made 15 years earlier. What are the chances of that? And so I go, okay, what's going on, God? So I'm talking to them. They fly me down. I don't go to the church. I hadn't even visited the church. I went to the beach, which was nice when you're in Kentucky and it's cold. And, and they asked me to come and candidate. And I said, so I got to go home and pray about that. When I went home, it's like God said, finish the assisted living. So I said, no. So we built this incredible facility. For 10 years, we were building, the last 10 years of my ministry in Lexington, we were building this beautiful facility that has now been servicing that community for 20 years. As I was finishing the building, thinking, okay, now I'm, I'm at the end of this journey. White Chapel calls again, this time to ask me about a person who used to be on my staff, a children's pastor on my staff. And he was now a lead pastor, and they said, tell me about him. I said, he's great. I gave him glowing recommendation. And then they said, how about you? Would you be interested? Okay, this time I'm 58 years old. I'm retiring in Eastland, you know. And I heard myself saying, maybe. I heard Brenda saying, oh, no. You know, that's kind of how that went. And so we ended up going to Whitechapel, another tough church with that had gone through a split and lost a lot of people. I'm thinking, God, why do you keep sending me to those places? You know, and, and so our last 10 years, we were at Whitechapel. And then when we finished that journey, uh, it, it was interesting that uh, our, our, our next assignment was in, uh, in tips ministry. But I tell you that journey because I want you to understand a very personal journey that God does have specific plans for our lives. And sometimes they're yes, and sometimes they're no, and sometimes they're not now, not yet. I was reading uh, a book by uh, Mark Miltonberg and Lee Strobel called Unexpected Adventure. And these two guys who, uh, if you know Lee Strobel, he's a, a great apologist for the church. He's written A Case for Faith and A Case for Christ. And they were going out into doing seminars, speaking to non-Christian crowds, mostly college students, and talking to them about the Christian faith and answering questions. And in one of those seminars, a, a guy stands up and he goes, well, what about the god Mithras, who was born of a virgin on December the 25th, spent his life in world peace, was killed and died and was resurrected in three days. Christianity took their story from that mythological story. Well, Lee Strobel wasn't quite sure what to say because he knew nothing about Mithras. But as soon as the seminar was over, he goes home, he starts studying, and he finds out the guy had a few facts wrong. There was a 
God named Mithras who was born out of a rock and who never died and was never resurrected, you know, that all that part wasn't true, you know. And so now he's ready and he goes to the next seminar. Nobody asks him about Mithras. And then several months later, they're at a seminar and at the end of the seminar, a guy stands up and he goes, what about the, the God Mithras and its relationship to Christianity? And Mark looks at Lee, he goes, you're on. <laughs> and so he tells him the story, uh, the true story. And the young man sat down and said to himself and to the lady sitting beside him, that was the last barrier between me and God. And I smile when I read that story because God's just that personal. That he would remove the last barrier between you and between me and God. God opens and closes doors. But the reason is not for our comfort, our happiness, or even our safety. The reason is to bring him glory and to bring about his purpose in our lives. It's always about redemption. Uh, Brian Jones is, is one of my uh, favorite writers, and he wrote a book called Second Guessing God, and I was rereading that book recently. And I'd missed this the first time I read it. He said, you know, the, our journey with Jesus is kind of like taking a wild taxi ride. We throw the keys to Jesus, and we get in and hold on for dear life <laughs> as he takes us on this journey of faith in this world. I thought, I never thought of it that way, but it's kind of interesting. I have a friend who's gone through one of those wild taxi rides. His name is Joe. I've known him since my freshman year of college. He became the editor of Warner Press, our Christian uh, publishing community at the Church of God. His wife, Judy, was a teacher. And about three years ago, Judy went to the ER because she was having some pain in her abdomen. And they discovered this huge tumor in her abdomen. And Joe posted some things for his friends, and I want to read a couple of those today. Today's procedure gave us a close-up color photos of the primary tumor in Judy's abdomen. As the doctor pointed out the details and explained what they meant, I felt like I was looking at a, a tiger in the eye. It's raw, lethal power, ready to devour my beloved. But I took a careful reading of my emotions then and in the afternoon that has followed and I found not the slightest shadow of fear or anxiety there. Judy told me the same. So here's our report for the day. God has set a guard over our hearts. Though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death and spend every moment in the presence of our enemies... God is giving us peace, confidence, and joy for the journey. Praise be to God. And thanks for so many godly friends who are praying for us. The next journal entry was tougher. Judy and I met with surgeon Dr. Ben McCurdy today. After studying the biopsy and the CT scan results, he said that he believes surgery would serve no therapeutic purpose since the cancer is spread to other vital organs and surgery rehab time would prevent Judy from doing some things she wants to do in the weeks to come. We have put this in the Lord's hands and we don't know whether his answer will be a miraculous healing or a victorious homecoming. 
Either way, we praise him for this time of walking close beside him. The next entry said, Judith Bloom Allison taught an evangelism class, and I taught Bible 201 at Geist Christian Church tonight. My assignment was Joseph, a story of God's providence. I have some great illustrative material for that. Sometimes when God closes a door, our comfort and our strength comes from knowing the heart of the Father. Joe and Judy have trusted the heart of the Father for a long time. God chose to take Judy home a a few months later. Cancer was not the final barrier to their faith. Instead, it was a confirmation of over 40 years of marriage, trusting in the loving heart of God. Sometimes we want to concentrate on whom to blame. Jesus focuses on the bigger picture. Who will receive glory in all this? His suggesting, instead of who to blame, is to ask this question. How is God at work here? Your closed door today might be God protecting you from something that takes you off of his path. It could be God just saying, not now, later. It could be that he loves you so personally that he's removing the last barrier between you and him. We see through the window dimly, Paul says, but he's preparing us for a bigger purpose. And we'll only know that purpose as we walk through the doors he opens and avoid the doors he closes. And in all things, open or close doors, like my friend Joe and Judy, give God the glory because he cares for you more than you can ever dream or imagine. I said we were on uh, Tip's assignment, a, a transitional pastor, when we retired. And our first assignment was Monroe City, Indiana. Monroe City has no stoplights, not even a caution light. Doesn't even have any stores. Uh, it has one service station about a quarter mile out of town where they serve hamburgers, I found out. But that, I mean, that's it. And when we went to that little church, we didn't know what to expect. The pastor had been there 39 years. He'd kind of grown up as a youth pastor and became the pastor. And as I met with them, uh, these people became some of our dearest friends, unbelievably talented, gifted, committed Christian people. Church of 200 and a town of 500, kind of interesting deal. And their question, I mean, they had one pastor for 39 years was, is there anyone who would want to come here? And God answered that question in an amazing way as Justin and Sarah Brown came to be pastors there. Justin happened to grow up in the cornfields of Kansas, and now he's in the parsonage surrounded by cornfields, and he is just a particular answer of need for that particular community. Amazing thing. God's provision always amazes me. When I came to this church, you had had a series of interims after your pastor left. It had been over two years without a lead pastor. And I heard that same anxiety, is anyone going to tackle this deal and, and, and come here? And again, I'm amazed at, at God's provision as he brought uh, Cindy and Brian Bennett 
to this place. He was your yes to this place. And together we get to watch God as he begins to open doors and begins to impact this community through this incredible couple. And I'm so excited to see what's going to happen as we surrender our hearts to God and allow him to work through us. He's in the redeeming business. Waiting on the Lord's timing can be incredibly frustrating. After first service, I had a couple people say, boy, that's really true. it's, It's hard to wait sometimes. Especially if you're in the hospital lobby and someone you love is in surgery. Especially if you're flipping through the one ads after you've lost your job. But remember, we look at the small picture, God looks at the big picture. Back to those first two questions. Do I believe God is in ultimate control? And do I believe God is willing and able to help me? Can I trust him? There's a great quote that I love. It says, when we can't trace his hand, when you don't see his plan, when you don't understand, trust his heart. Sometimes we don't understand the closed doors, but we trust his heart like my friend Joe and Judy. I may not know the answer to that closed door today. I might not know 25 years from now, but someday when we stand in his presence, that closed door will make sense to us. I believe that. So in the meantime, I'm going to try and trust and relax and throw Jesus the keys and hang on for the ride because it's the best journey I ever know. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your faithful love to us, even when we don't know the answers, even when we don't understand, even when the door seems to close that we thought was going to be open. Help us to trust you and trust your heart. And Lord, most of all, help us to give you the keys to our lives and say, okay, we're going to go with you all the way. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Let's stand, church. Powerful, powerful message from the Lord today through His Word. Let's let's not waste what God's done in this place and in us. Let's really just ponder what we've heard and how it applies to us. And then thank Him by singing back His Word to Him. So let's respond.
His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face toward you. Be upon you and a thousand generations. 
generations, in your family, in your children, and their children, and their children. May His presence go before you, and behind you, and beside you, all around you. to our prayers are sometimes yes, there's sometimes no, and there's sometimes not yet. But Lord, in the middle of it all, there's the trust in the relationship with you, God. That you want to, you have a plan for us. You want us to prosper. You don't want to harm us, God. And we thank you, Lord, for what you're doing right now in our, in our midst, in this place. Your presence is here. Do a work, Lord, and may we not miss it. May we hold tight to it. You are so faithful. You are so good. You are so merciful and compassionate. And we thank you, Lord, for who you are and for even considering us and for loving us the way you do. And we love you, Lord. We worship you. And it's in Christ's name all of this can happen, and we do it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you, church. God bless.